0: Hello and welcome to K-Pod, the podcast about Korean Americans and arts and culture from Korean American Story. I'm Katherine Hong, a writer and editor, and I'm Juliana Sone, a photographer. Today, we are delighted to be speaking with interior designer Young Ha at her home in Westchester, New York. Young is one of the most sought-after designers in the country today. Her spaces tend to be based on classic proportions, quality materials, and an understanding for how people live. Young did not originally intend to become a designer. After graduating from Smith, she got her law degree from Fordham and passed the bar before she realized she wanted a more creative career. This marks her 12th year as the principal of Young Ha Interiors, and by all measures, she has had an incredible year. Her room at the annual Kipps Bay Decorator Showhouse was the talk of the New York design world, and she was honored by Elle Decor as one of the Elle Decor A-List, which is the magazine's directory of top interior designers in the world. Thank you, Young, for having us today.
1: Thanks for inviting me. Okay,
0: so you're just coming off Kipps Bay. For those who don't know, the Kipps Bay Show House is an annual charity event where about 20 designers are invited to decorate a different room of a Manhattan townhouse and turn it into a dream house. The house is usually in terrible condition and the designers only get about a month or so to recreate and renovate. Is that yeah, right? five weeks. So tell us a little bit about um, the space that you created and the challenges.
1: So the Kipps Bay decorator show. Show house is sort of like the Olympics of design. Um, the moment you see the room, you have anywhere between three to five weeks to design, uh, select materials, and then get everything installed. And if you know anything about high-end interior design, that's a really, really difficult task because most of what we do is custom, takes a long time to produce. So you really want to partner with um, uh, sponsors who are invested in showcasing really cool materials Um, So you have to hunt those down really fast (laughs) and um, really come up with your concept really fast. Um, So uh, you're thinking about what is really the latest and greatest and what can you get done in time. Right.
0: Because usually the Kip Space Show house is a building in bad shape, right? It's like a...
1: Not always. It could be in good shape. The first time I did it, it was in the Palace Hotel, which was very grand and very uh, beautiful, um, although it was an old building. Um, uh, Usually it's a tremendous piece of real estate that has been on the market or is going to hit the market and it's a chance for the real estate owner to really get more publicity on that piece of real estate. Um, This year it was a $30 million double width townhouse. Um, There were a tremendous number of rooms. It's about, um, I can't even remember what the square footage is, but it was a very large house. Um, So, yeah, it was a marquee piece of property that uh, um, got renovated by 23 designers.
2: So it's a different property every year.
1: Mm -hmm. And
2: when do you find out that you're one of the selected designers?
1: So the selections start in the winter, uh, roughly after Christmas. um, And uh, designers submit portfolios. Um, They request to be one of the uh, candidates, um, and uh, you find out pretty much uh, the week or so before. Oh my uh, gosh! Selections happen. Yeah, so it's really like you get the phone call. Uh, you know, you've been selected. Come uh, take a look at the space, and uh, you know, ready, get set, go.
0: And so. I would say it looked like you got one of the best rooms, but others might think you got one of the really difficult rooms, right? Tell us a little bit about what you got.
1: So um, I was asked to do a bathroom and large loft space. It was a difficult room in that it was on the top floor and it had a very, very narrow staircase. Um, That's just logistical logistically difficult because it's almost impossible to bring large pieces of furniture up the stairs. And it was a very large room, about 28 by 28 feet. um, So with 17 and a half foot ceiling. So we needed tremendous scale to fill the space. Um, Whereas the staircase was, you know, only 24 inches wide, um, and very narrow. So, um, so it was not a very desirable space, I think, because everyone knew it would be very expensive, very logistically challenging. So, um, you know, for me, I thought it would be a really fun challenge. Um, I love these kind of structural and logistical challenges. I think that's what makes interior design fun. It's not just about picking pretty things and shopping, unlike what most people think. It's actually a lot of sort of strategic architectural thinking and space planning, um, and figuring out how to get things done within a certain amount of time is, is also, you know, kind of a great intellectual challenge. So, um, so yeah, I decided to do it, um, and I thought there were lots of possibilities that was difficult. This sounds like a survivor of the design <laughs>
0: world. It <laughs> should be a reality <laughs> show.
1: Exactly. Oh, I totally think if um, someone did a TV show of this, like they would have content for, for you know, an entire season um so uh even though it's only a few weeks and you know it's it's definitely crazy
0: designers often talk about how it's this bonding experience it's exhilarating and chaotic but everybody helps each other but i always think there's no way all these top interior designers are helping each other they're all (laughs) fighting for the spaces they're fighting um for room for their crew um Maybe somebody does something to the electricity for the whole building or the plumbing and someone screws it up. Like, <laughs> is there what? what is it like working in such close quarters with so many top interior designers, everybody rushing to complete by a certain date?
1: Well, it's definitely sort of. Um... Competitive, um, in the sense that everyone, this is—you know—it's such a huge investment, so much pressure. Um, there are about twenty-five thousand visitors every year, and a minimum of a hundred press publications visiting. So there's a lot of competition um, in the sense of, you know, trying to make the best space. Um, And then everyone's trying to install on top of each other. But um, I think what has changed, though, is funny enough, um, I think social media has really helped people behave better. Um, And I know that Old school designers would be very competitive, very bitchy, very mean to each other. But I don't think you can get away with that anymore. I think uh, if you're mean... No one's going to like you and no one's going to, um, um, you know, look at your Instagram. So I think it behooves everyone to um, be kind and play nice. So this year, I have to say it was really, really wonderful. Um, last minute, I had a problem where I lost all power to my room. So I actually had to wire, I had to channel through my neighbor's room to grab power from his room. That meant chopping up his entire ceiling oh when you just finished it. it. He told him, I need um, to chop he up He said, go for it. Just, that's amazing. You know, uh, do it. Do what you got to do. Um, how can I say no? Can we call um, out
2: this designer? Yeah, his so name's sweet.
1: Matthew Bees. Um, so sweet. Um, I... Did a huge thank you to him on Instagram and people loved the story. I think people love stories like that where people actually help you and are willing to risk their own well-being for other people. Um, And, you know, as a designer, I wouldn't want my room chopped, you know, (laughs) three weeks before install. Um, so, uh, it was very nice of him and, um, that was really, truly, it was a great experience. And actually we did help other designers. Uh, a friend of mine had a leak. She was out of town. You know, we went and tried to help resolve the situation for her. And, um, you know, same thing. Friends were like, what can I do to help? Um, so there's a lot of camaraderie, um, uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say that every day we're hanging out. I mean, we're busy. <laughs> it's the design Olympics.
0: They're each other, which is what I always <laughs> right. <imagined. laughs> right, no. Well, you have a reputation for being such a lovely person. Um, but I wonder, do you need to be a yeller in this industry? You need to assert yourself. You have contractors to deal with. You need people to supply things on time. Tell me a little bit about how you exert authority, um, what your philosophy is?
1: I think it's so hard as a woman and as a creative woman to kind of survive in their field because, you know, first of all, I think being creative people, you're sort of last on the pecking order. Um, when clients run out of money, when, uh, you know, companies uh, do cost cutting, you're the first to go. So um, you do have to have some negotiating skills and some um, ability to assert yourself and say what you do is important to get those resources, to get paid, to get stuff done. Um, And there was an interesting article in the New York Times about um, uh, female architects and how, you know, they have a really hard time having contractors listen to them yeah, um, and uh, do what they need them to do. And I've definitely felt that.
0: What is your approach to a contractor who tells you, I can't do that, and you know they can do it? Or
1: Yeah. So in the early days, I tried yelling, um, cursing. That, um, that can work. Yeah. I mean, my mother was a big yeller. (laughs) (laughs) Korean women are loud. So, um, you know, I thought that's how I'm going to get stuff done. And I'll never forget my son came home from school Um, And he had gotten in trouble for cursing at school. And I was like, Elliot, you know, why did you do that? And he said, I just told the teacher, I hear fuck you all the time. (laughs) And I was like, "Uh, okay, well. I threw you under uh, the bus, mommy. (laughs) Yeah. And it also made me think like, wow, I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> but I mean, at the same time, you don't yeah. want people
0: walking over you. And oftentimes you do have to show people that you mean business. They can't walk over you because you're a cute little Korean lady,
1: right? Right. So I think, you know, I almost want to say it was harder when I was younger. Uh, it's, I think just being a young woman, period, it's hard to get uh the sense of gravitas to get people to listen to you. But um, I think the power of um, persuasion um, by, you know, appealing to people's logic, their sense of taste and style Mm -hmm. um, is far more powerful than cursing that didn't really work (laughs) Um, in a multitude of levels. So um, I think, uh, again, the idea of really encouraging teamwork, um, the sort of pride and project, um, pride of results. Um, certainly that works better when you're a little more seasoned and people um, know you've produced good results. So in the beginning days, it was definitely very hard. But um, now I think, you know, um, you, it's definitely true. You get a lot more with sugar <laughs> than, um,
2: than vinegar. So I think that works. So um, should we go back to early days in childhood? Yeah, and talk sure. about your, um, where were, were you born and what was your childhood like? So
1: um, I was born in Seoul, Korea. I moved to uh, Michigan when I was three years old. Uh, I grew up in Michigan. My father is a doctor, and uh, half his medical school class moved to Michigan, actually, because they were uh, giving visas to foreign doctors. There were not enough doctors in the area. So he moved to um, Michigan. I had uh, the great luck of um, having a really peaceful childhood there, um, a very kind of typical
2: American uh, childhood. And Um, then did you have an enclave of your father's uh, student friends that were also practicing nearby? So you had a a built-in Korean community?
1: So my parents had kids really young, sort of how I did too. (laughs) So um, their contemporaries um, had really little children. So I really didn't have... um, a peer group. Um, but I did go to church, (laughs) Korean church. (laughs) That's the, uh, the glue that binds.
0: Do you have siblings?
1: Yeah, I have a younger brother. Um, and, uh, I think the experience that was probably the most transformative was, um, my parents, um, sent me to, uh, Cranbrook Kingswood school, um, from middle school. And, you know, they thought it was just a top school, but what they didn't realize is it's a very famous art school.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Did your brother not go
1: there? No, my brother actually has, um, learning disabilities. So he, um, uh, had a lot of academic challenges. So, um, There was a lot of pressure for me to be the one to succeed. Um, So my parents hoped by um, me going to Cranbrook, um, I would, you know, get these top grades and um, be this academic superstar. Um, But instead, what happened was um, at Cranbrook, you would take three art classes um, or at least two a semester. So you could take like four art classes a year. Um, so I did everything from weaving, ceramics, drawing, painting, sculpture, um, and uh, really
2: uh, developed a love for art there.
0: And did you go to high school there as well?
2: Yes. So you had great basic training there. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, even though um, it was discounted in our family, my grandfather was— um, a dean of veterinary medicine at Seoul National. My father's a doctor Seoul National. My mother was valedictorian um, in, um, at Ihua of her class. And um, so there was a lot of pressure to be academically mm-hmm. amazing. Um, and my grandfather would tell me that his um, dream was for me to be a doctor. And cure all disease in Africa <laughs> <laughs> <You know. laughs> right so um, growing up it was e- you're either pre-med or um, or you study law so um, since I wasn't very good at math and science they uh, expected me to go to law school and um, I thought when I was young that um, I would want to be a writer uh, I I was an English major. Um and you I went loved, to Smith, right? Yes. And then I went to Smith. And my parents were like, well, you like to write, so you'll be a really good lawyer. <laughs> um, so, yeah.
0: I'm curious about your own family home. I think a lot of interior designers work. Um, Is either a reaction to what they grew up with, you know, their mother had formica, so they want, you know, or is just inspired by their parents. So tell us a little bit about how your parents decorated.
1: My my mother has... Great taste. Um, my parents both have great taste. They um, always loved the arts, um, even though they discouraged me <laughs> from entering it. But they always felt that it was an important thing. Um, my parents both were on the board of directors of the Detroit Institute of Arts um, and uh, supported the Asian arts um, wing, um, they helped collect Korean art so for the did your museum. House
0: have Korean furniture? Yeah, yeah.
1: So um, we had Korean pottery, Korean chess. Um, they collected scrolls. Um, uh, when I was in college, I would go on trips to New York with my mom to meet. Uh, Um, collectors and sellers and um, to go to auctions. Um, And she sort of kind of taught me when you have money, buy Korean art because the people collecting Korean antiques are actually all Japanese Americans. The Koreans don't value their own heritage. And um, Koreans are actually we're actually the artisans of East Asia. Uh, you know, our pottery, uh, Korean celadon was prized by the Japanese and the Chinese. Um, and sadly, the Korean uh, museums have probably the poorest collections. That's incredible. <laughs> of really. these celadons, yeah, the best collections are in the U.S. and um, in Japan. So that was sort of one of her missions. Um, but going back to my childhood house, my, my parents really um, respected their home. It was a place where they entertained a lot. Um, they, uh, it was always a welcoming place. Um, and uh, yeah, my mother loved um, having a, a, a nice home. Um, The one thing that she hated was flowers because her mother loved flowers and she hated flowers. So we never had flowers growing up. And as you can see, I'm obsessed with flowers. (laughs) So um, that would probably be the backlash reaction. Well, I
0: mean, your home and the interiors that I've seen of yours are, um, in my mind, very French-inspired, would you say, sometimes, or English? Not very much Asian. I don't see a lot of Asian influence. Is that
1: what you say? Um... That's interesting you say that because I think so much of really good design comes from Asia. Um, And what I'm fascinated by is sort of the global conversation that evolves from that. So like, um, for instance, I have some stoneware um, and that's English, but that was for the English people who couldn't afford real Uh, Chinese pottery or export um, pottery. So, um, you know, Asian design was just prized by so many people um, and it sort of became the language of design. I think Indian art and East Asian art is really sort of where um, the most beautiful things come from. Um, But It's kind of funny. We sort of lost that and now it's perceived as Western. Um, But it's really uh, Western culture um, sort of taking in Asian culture and then reinterpreting it. So um, one of the things that I really love to do is to um, have that sort of dialogue between this kind of cultural uh, travel, um, the evolution of these decorative arts um, in a home. Um, one of the things, though, is like, for instance, Korean traditional. Homes, they don't have chairs and tables. You're sitting on the floor. You, you don't have comfortable upholstery. Um, these are really wonderful inventions. <laughs> I don't know about you. but I really hate sitting on the floor well, they, on a they cushion have radiant
2: heat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so, you know, I think what's interesting is um that sort of, combination of things, the best of what's Western, the best of
2: what's um, Eastern, and um, and that dialogue. So I have a question I'd like to go back to when you were talking about having beauty in the home.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I love hearing the sense that you're almost psychologically helping yeah. them figure yeah. out how to live Uh, in a more calm, peaceful way by the way you're shaping their home and how to be in it. Um, And it's not about the kind of upholstery or the, you know, wallpaper or the paint color. And... uh, Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So it's really funny because
1: um, one of the things that I really tried to, and I think people really responded to this when I did Kips Bay, is um, it's not about just the material selection or the furniture selection. The thing that you really want to think about first is emotion, feeling, um, the impact of entering a room that feels... Um, a certain way in in Kipps Bay, my uh, hope was to create a space that embraced art, creativity, and color, and show how it can still be peaceful. because I think ultimately, if you're in a space that feels overly challenging, um, you're not comfortable in it. You want to feel, Good when you walk into a space. Like the restaurants we love are not necessarily the fanciest ones. They're the ones that have the sense of bonhomie, um, you know, that there might be delicious food and conversation waiting for you. So, same thing with rooms. Um, I think it's really important, as you say, to think about how you want to feel. Is it peace? Is it excitement? Is it um, a kind of fashionable sexiness. Um, all of those things are things we want to feel in different rooms and different spaces. Um, in my own home, I want to feel peace, a sense of grace and loveliness. I want my children and family and friends to feel welcome, but to have a little joy, have a little prettiness.
0: So I have a question back to your college days. So I'd heard that you founded a Korean American literary magazine while at Smith. Um, Tell us what that was and how you came up with that
2: idea.
1: So I think in college, if I can remember.
2: And this is when you were still an English major.
1: Yes, yes. Um, I think um, I was having grown up in Michigan and... Um, and going to Cranbrook, I really didn't have Korean friends. So at Smith, um, I think it was my first time meeting other Korean students, engaging with the Korean community, and realizing there was so much that we shared um, as Korean-Americans, that sense of being sort of on the outside sharing the same love of food and and family, um, there was so much that we shared. So um, I sort of uh, really embraced the Korean American experience in college. And, um, you know, I must have thought it'd be cool if we could express it in... Um, in literature or poetry or whatever it was that people wanted to write.
0: Were you in some sort of, um, not a sorority, but was there some kind of social group of Korean-Americans?
1: There was a Korean-American sort of club, um, which I think um, at the time they were pretty popular. Every campus had a Korean-American group. And I think there was also at the time a Korean-American conference that was multi-school um, that people would attend. So did you join
2: that? Yes, yes. Okay. It's I was so interesting because I, uh, I stayed as far away oh, from you. that so as so possible. Did I. I didn't join any of this Korean
0: or Asian society yeah. in college, yeah. but now I realize maybe I missed out.
1: Well, um, it's interesting because my children um, are not involved with those groups. um and i I just was kind of curious why.
0: Well, you know, I grew up where there are plenty of, Korean Americans in my high school. So I didn't need more of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, well, there you go. Yeah, there you, you go. You know, I imagine Cranbrook was very white, kind of preppy, right?
1: Very preppy. Uh, also, I mean, this is, you know, uh, I'm a Gen Xer, so like grunge and all of that was kind of in, you know. Did you have.
0: Um, non-Korean boyfriends in high school and college?
1: I really didn't. Um, I was pretty much discouraged from dating. Um, my parents were extremely traditional. So um, any dating had to be done on the down low. But <laughs> um, but really, um, I think I was always attracted to Korean American men. Um, and I dated uh, Koreans because um, I don't know. Maybe that was missing
2: in my life. So, how in the world did you find Korean men in Bloomfield Hills, Cranbrook, <laughs> and Smith? Yeah, that's which why is I didn't date. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> why I
1: didn't have a date Happy till time. I was like twenty. <laughs> and, you, and you married a Korean
0: American man, correct?
1: Yes, we both went to law school together, and um, you know, and this is what's really kind of wonderful about someone who understands sort of your cultural baggage is um, we went to law school together and I was really struggling through law school. And he was the one who said, you know, think outside of the box. Don't do it. It's like, but I just spent, you know, quarter million dollars on law school. And he was like, don't let your education be a burden to you. So what? We
0: need to hear about um, <laughs> how it went down with your family when you broke the news to them that after law school and after the bar, you really- Two bars. Proud. Yeah. <laughs> so we As my mother detail. would say, two <laughs> bars, <laughs> two bars.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so my parents were- just beside themselves. Um, they. Uh, did were- you
0: break it in slowly, you know, over a year, kind of hinting that you weren't sure? Or did you just one night say, you know what? I decided not to be a lawyer.
1: Well, they knew I was miserable during law school. They knew. I, I mean, after the first week of um, orientation, I told them I wanted to drop out. <laughs>
2: oh my gosh, that early you knew. Yeah,
1: and, and you stuck it out. I. I mean, that's You're Korean determination <laughs> right there. I was you a good girl. A being a good daughter. Yeah. Well, stand. I was also being uh, bribed. they were like, <laughs> 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 My parents were paying for my housing, and they're like, "Well." I don't know what you're going to do if you drop out. Where are you going to live? So there was that. Um, But definitely every semester I was like, I'm dropping out. And they were just like, just one more semester. And somehow I got through all the years of school. Then it was like, I may as well take the bar exam. Well, I may as well practice as a lawyer. There's got to be something I could do. Um, Did and you have a job? I clerked for New York Supreme Court, uh, which is the trial level, um, because I thought, you know, maybe I could be a prosecutor. Maybe I could, um, you know, do something like work for legal aid, do something good for the world. And um, I would just sit and in court and be like, this is the most miserable thing. <laughs> Watching people do motion practice that just, you know, filing paperwork for no good reason. It just is such an inefficient process. Um, and it's, I just found it so depressing. Um, It was really, I had trouble getting up.
0: Wow. At what point did you get married um, to your husband?
1: Um, So we actually got married um, in law school um, right after my first year. Uh, my husband says it was probably to escape my parents. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and and maybe I had kids early so I wouldn't have to practice law.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Uh, uh, how old were you when you had your first child? So I was 25 when Elizabeth was born. Um, I was very young. Um, and, uh, you know, it was... The most magical thing ever to uh, have this child. And it also makes you realize that, you know, life is precious Mm. and it's kind of miraculous, and I'm not going to spend it being a lawyer. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So then I think the story goes that you were at a cocktail party with your husband and you met an interior designer mm-hmm. and he was talking about his work. Just tell yeah. us a little bit about that.
1: So um, I didn't know what to do with myself and my husband was um, really encouraging me to do all of those personality tests like myers Brig, what color is yeah. your you know, parachute. parachute, all of that stuff um, and, uh, even Cosmo. <laughs> and, um, I realized that I really should be doing something creative, but it was, it went so against how I was raised that I, I was just struggling with it. In those days, my husband was like, get out, meet people, talk to different people from different fields. And you never know something might uh, spark. Um, so I met this uh, man who was an interior designer and just um, went off on his own. And I was just fascinated by his stories, by what he was doing, everything. Um, and I was like, I think this is it. Um, so I begged him for an internship. I was like, you know, I'm a lawyer. I could give you free legal advice. <laughs> 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 um, and Yeah, so I was his intern. Um, I then took some classes at Parsons. I'd have, um, I had three kids at the time. Oh my God. And my son was a baby. I'd uh, drag him along to drafting class. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, that's how I got started.
0: That's amazing. Mm And
1: so your parents to this day are still hinting that you could become a lawyer. Is that right? Yeah. So um, when I told my parents, um, look, I've pretty much decided I'm going to be an interior designer. And my father, his only response was, lawyer is better. (laughs) And my mother was just like, "Oh, you're gonna end up being one of those housewife designers, and once you've gone through all your friends, you know, you're you're gonna have no career." And you know, she's she could always be counted on for <laughs> encouragement. Um, so um, when uh, my work started to get published, I would send them my magazines, and they were just like, kind of confused. But, um, you know, now uh, they have like stacks of things that I've been in on their coffee table. And when their friends come over, they're like, look, this is our daughter, the lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the funniest story is um, they flew out for the Kipps Bay opening and the room was crowded and crazy. And um, they were really delighted to work the room. Um, seemed like they were having a good time, and the next day, I said, "Mom, you know, what did you think of the party?" She said, "You know, it was very nice, except I was extremely disappointed that no one knew you were you were a lawyer." So I stood by the door and I said, "Hey, everyone, guess what? Did you know that Young, who decorated this room, is a lawyer?" <laughs> 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 <Jeez>. <laughs>
2: I just don't know why it's so important to them, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> it makes them happy. <laughs> you know, I I know that some people have this you know, aha moment, this epiphany, but before you spoke with this, um, interior designer, had you ever considered that? Or I mean, what did your home look like? Did you delight in decorating your home or finding pieces? Yeah. I think I've always been, um, attracted
1: to fashion, design, um, interiors, um, when I was a kid, um, I always asked my parents if I could paint my own room. Um, I had all sorts of ideas of like painting stars in the closet and stripes across the ceiling. And they were like, no way. Um, so I would take little um, shoe boxes and make little dioramas and um, my own dollhouse furniture. And um, so I think I was always interested in that. Um, I would always take like scraps of uh, uh, fabric, leftover clothes, cut it up and make little blankets for my dolls and pillows and clothes. Um, But it was so drilled into me that the creative arts are not serious, that they aren't world altering, that... Um, it was my duty as an educated person to make the world a better place by doing something more significant, such as being a doctor.
2: Um, so it wasn't just be a doctor, be financially stable. It was literally be a doctor, cure cancer in yeah, Africa.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It was really like, it's your duty to do something outstanding to better humanity um, it was definitely um, more sort of morally driven than financially driven. Um, so there was the sense that, you know, this is, um, you know, uh, not important and frivolous to um, be interested in beauty. Um, and the notion was beauty's not that important. And um, my parents were collecting art to preserve Korean culture, not because they loved beauty. Um, so that was sort of the dif- differentiation. And, um, you know, I think I had to find a place um, and really do a lot of um, looking inward to realize that, you know, beauty is profound. Beauty is not uh, frivolous. It's it, it gives us hope. It gives us joy. Um, it's, uh, tremendously important to the human experience. And, you know, it took a lot of guts for me to find that place to be able to say that.
2: I think that's so admirable. And I love to hear you say that. And, and and I don't even mean that it's self-care. It's finding, um, a sense of uh, sublime and beauty and grace in your life right? and and making an active um, decision to have that.
1: I mean, think about it. Churches were extraordinarily beautiful so we could perceive God, so we could um, feel the divine in our lives. Schools are magnificent, so you can be intellectually inspired. Um, In some ways, we have to all um, commune with the beautiful, the sublime, the extraordinary, and, um, you know, our homes don't have to be out of control, expensive, beautiful, you know, it's really in some way, some small way, um, some significant way, um, reach the sublime in your home, Uh, whether it's, you know, creating a moment where you can really enjoy your children, eat um, a lovely meal with them, um, You know, these are ways that you can um, create these environments where you can experience that in your day to day.
0: So my last question, or at least for now, is tell us a little bit about your kids and their relation to interiors, having you as a mom.
2: Do you let them put stripes on their
0: ceilings? (laughs) Do they think that you're a big snob?
1: No, um, I think, well. My son likes to make fun of me. <laughs> um, I think, you know, my kids are really supportive of my career. Um, they've also gotten really used to weird things. Um, the The sad thing about um, being uh, the children of an interior designer is I'm always doing shoots and installs. So... You know, my son was like, you know, some days I come home and my dust chair is gone. Some days I come home and my, and my lamps are gone. Um, and <laughs> when my daughter uh, came to visit Kips Bay, she was like, are these things from my room? <laughs> and I was like, don't say that too loud. <laughs> So um, I tend to have a lot of objects um, because I need them on rotation for shoots and installations and and whatnot. So, um, you know, things are always moving and getting adjusted in our house. Like that table's not supposed to be there. All that pottery is going to a client. But, you know, um, so it's always a little crazy in the house
0: artistically inclined
1: so my second daughter is studying art um I had her be my intern last year and she hated it <laughs> she really hated it <laughs> so um I think it's extremely doubtful uh any of them will be interior designers yeah but they they think it's a hoot that I do what I do
0: All right. All right. Thank you so much for your time today. We love speaking with you. I know.
2: It's so lovely to hear about your work and your philosophy and uh, how you got to where you are.
1: Well, thank you so much. It was fun chatting with
2: you. Please share how we can find you on uh, social media or online. So Instagram is just
1: youngha and my website is youngha.com.
0: K-Pod is a production of KoreanAmericanStory.org. Our producer is Kevin Park. Our editor is AJ Valente. And our executive producer is H.J. Lee.
2: Thank you so much for listening to K-Pod. This is our final episode of the first season. We will be back in 2020 with new episodes covering Korean Americans in arts and culture. If you have someone you'd like to recommend to us or just say nice things, you can email us at kpod at koreanamericanstory.org. That's k-pod at koreanamericanstory.org.